sell my soul in the back corner talking like this. If you do have a Bible there, turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. And we'll see where we sail off to. We'll see where we end up. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. We've been talking in the last few weeks about this whole idea of the will of God and uh, what is the will of God and finding the will of God and all kind of things related to that. I was driving home yesterday. I was, uh, Saturday, yeah, yesterday, Saturday, I was at the shed. Uh, you saw the pictures. We were doing a bit of work there. On the way home, because it was raining, I was driving down the hill between Austinville and Ballina, and as you sort of start to go down the hill, I noticed in front of me, because of the rain, you know, you see the tyre tracks really clearly of the cars, and there was a point where I was driving on the road, and it grabbed my attention, because it was so incredibly precise. These two cars must have been dead smack bang in the middle of each other's tracks. And it got to a point where one set of tracks just kept on going straight, and the other set of tracks veered off into the overtaking lane and went ahead. But I'm, I'm looking at the, the juncture where it went and you, it obviously was not one car because one car can't split into two, but it was so precise the way they were in the tracks and in the lines that it literally looked like one car and then all of a sudden this other set of tracks came. It was really, really weird. Normally you'll see them sort of side by side and these were dead smack bang down the middle and they veered off. And I thought, God, you know what, that's... That reminds me, I, I think, a little bit like what I think the will of God is, kind of, for our lives. You know, there is this paralyzing, debilitating concept of the will of God that it's literally like the eye of a needle, and it is so hard to find, and it is so difficult to locate. It's almost like God is saying, on the one hand, I have a plan and a purpose for your life, but I'm going to make it so incredibly hard for you to find that that 99.99% of you will never actually reach it, will never actually get there. When you listen to some of the theologies on the will of God, it, it makes it sound like it's literally the eye of a needle. And if I look at my own life and go right back, I'm 45 uh, years, 45 or 6, one of those two. Now, around 45, I'll do the maths later. But if I think back over my whole life, you know, I didn't come to faith till I was about 19. How many chances would I have had to make one decision, one wrong choice that could have taken me a mile away from this eye of a needle thing we call the, the will of God for my life? Think about it. How incredibly exact must every single movement and moment and choice of my life have been if there's this eye of a needle goal that God set me up for? I wonder whether I would make it. And then it brings up all kinds of other things like, oh, yeah, but, you know, God makes sure that you, you get there. So every that's like saying every choice I've ever made was the will of God for me because, you know, even the bad ones because they got me to where I am and so on. It brings up a whole lot of concepts and ideas. And there's this paralyzing mentality out there about the will of God. You know, I, I spent years um, working in a, a mission organization called Youth with a Mission. 
And we used to run training schools. And lots and lots of young kids from all denominational backgrounds would gather together and we would have six months with these kids. We would train them up in, in discipleship and you know, um, hearing the voice of God and the Father heart of God and, and, and all kinds of topics. And, and uh, the will of God would always come up as a part of it, especially towards the end of the schools. Because at the end of their six-month training period, they would then be faced with this question. They'd start thinking, okay, I've just had this incredible Incredible experience, and it is. It's an amazing opportunity for anyone that gets a chance to do something like that. It's, it's, it's like God takes you away from the normal routine of life and pops you in an environment, and for six months you have only one responsibility, just focus on God. It's a, it's a pretty privileged and amazing opportunity that people get when they find themselves in this situation. But at the end of that six months, when all they've been doing is focusing on their relationship with God and, and getting to know him more intimately, learning to hear his voice and who he is and break through misconceptions of who he is and so on. And then to go on a missions trip, whether it be local missions, we, we would send people up and down the East Coast, we'd do tours of the country towns, we'd send people to indigenous communities and we'd send teams overseas, with, you know, Indonesia, um, uh, all throughout Asia, India, uh, all over the place, Pacific Island nations, we would send teams there. They would come back and they'd all be so pumped and charged about what God had done in their lives in that period of time. But at the end of it, they would all be sitting there with this thing running around in their head, okay, now what? What's the will of God for me now? And people would be, would be challenged. You know, there'd be opportunities to come back on, onto the YWAM base and to, to, to pray uh, about what we could do. You know, maybe we could come back and become a staff member on one of these schools or maybe I should go back to my local church and take the stuff I've learned and, and use it to help build the kingdom in my area. Or maybe, uh, maybe I, I, I got a glimpse of cross-cultures and I really loved Indonesian culture so I might want to go to university and study Indonesian culture or something. But, I mean, the, the opportunities were incredible. The, the choices that, that would open up are incredible. And it's, it's no different for the rest of us in life. There are so many choices and opportunities of things that are out there, decisions that we can make, and places we can go, and doors we can walk through, windows we can jump through. So many things. But you could see so many of these kids would wrestle because they had this concept that it's the eye of a needle. And they would be fasting for the, the last week of their school. There'd be kids feeling pressure and stress. And they're fasting and they're praying. And they're just, it's like this, by the end of the, the last day of the school, by my graduation dinner, I have to know the will of God. And you could see all this weight on these kids, you know. I just don't think the will of God is meant to be like that. I just don't think that God wants us to have an image of his purpose and his plan for our life as if it's one thing and one thing only. And those tire tracks were heading in a direction, but then at one point another set of tracks sort of came out. And I realised while I was driving along, I thought, you know what? It's, it's the one road. Both them cars are actually heading in the same direction. They're just both in different laneways. But they're both still going in the same direction. And I thought, what a beautiful picture of the will of God for each of our lives. There are many opportunities, things we could do, things we could put our hand to, places we could go and so on. And I think the will of God is not the eye of a needle so much as a broad highway of opportunity. There are so many things that God is happy for us to get involved in. There are so many things that we could do where God would go, you know what, that's actually okay. I remember at the end of my DTS, and uh, I, I, I shared my story. I got saved at 19 years of age, went up to Brisbane to do this thing called a discipleship training school. At the end of my school, one of the options that was thrown at me was to go to Townsville and help pioneer a Youth of the Mission training centre. Not there. Today, YWAM Townsville is one of the most 
well-run YWAM bases in the world, uh, the influence that Youth with a Mission has in Townsville is incredible. If you ever get a chance to go to Townsville, go to the YWAM base. Um, Ken Mulligan, the guy that runs it, he's uh, got an Order of Australia medal or something a few years ago. Uh, the, the government love him. He's now got a program called Mercy Ships. Anyone heard of Mercy Ships? He runs Mercy Ships now, and they're coming in and out of Townsville Harbour, and they've got some ships. And Mercy Ships are beautiful things, great opportunities. You know, people with, with a desire to go and do something for long periods or short periods of time, uh, doctors, um, uh, medical personnel, nurses, dentists, they just load them up on these boats, get supplies, and off they go to Pacific Island nations and so on and do a bit of time there. A couple of weeks, a month, six months, go out there, serve practically and, and help these people in some of these island nations that just aren't blessed or as lucky as we are here. If I get a, 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 you know, a cataract or something, you go to a doctor and they can take it out. Some nations and places like this, they get a cataract, it's a sentence for them. You know? And all it is is a simple operation to remove something. And so they take these ships in and they do these things. Well, I was asked by, by Ken, the guy that started the base, would you, you pray about coming up and starting the base with me up there? And I thought, oh, it's a great opportunity to do something, you know? And I too, like everybody, prayed. Oh, God, what? You know, right. And it doesn't happen very often for me, but I had a vision, a picture, and it reminded me of it when I was going up the hill. And the picture was this. I saw a river going along like this, and I saw an island up ahead, and the river veered off in two directions. And I thought, oh, well, which direction do I take, God? And then I felt like God gave me a view of what was going on miles and miles up. The river parted like this, and it went along, along, along. You know what happened eventually? The other side of the island just came back came back and I felt like God said to me what do you want to do what do you want to do I had a few opportunities different things that I could have done I felt like God said it's not it's, there's not just one way for you Alan there are options there are choices there's a path we're heading in a certain direction but within that direction there's a lot of scope for movement there's a lot of scope for choice a lot of scope for freedom there's a lot of scope for you to make decisions and so on we have this almost obsessive if you, you know, if you go to Christian bookstores, did you know that one of the most popular themes of Christian books that comes out all the time is the will of God? It's one of the most popular themes. You know why? Because we can't get enough of it. We can't get enough of the will of God. How do we find the will of God? Every generation, how do we find the will of God? What's the will of God about? And I think sometimes we narrow it down too much and we get it wrong. And we stress and we strain and we strive. You know, if I've got something really important for my kids, if, I, if I've got some really important directional information for my son, for Jordan, you know, Jordan makes a lot of choices himself in life. He, he makes choices and, you know, some are great and some are not so great, like all of us do at life, in life. But you know what? I, I'm looking at my son and going, there's a general direction within life that I really want you to go. As a father to a child, this is the kind of direction I want you to go. Within that direction, there's a lot of scope for choice and decision and so on. You know, if Jordan was to come to me and say, I want to go to university... You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have within that, there's only one topic you're allowed to do. Like, okay, you want to go to university? What, what, let's talk about it. What would you like to study? What would you like, you know? Jordan came to me recently. I took him for a trip up to Youth of the Mission, Brisbane. Uh, during the holidays, him and Chloe, we, we packed up and went up there for uh, a couple of days just to hang out with the young people. And, you know, so Jordan's come back and gone, look, I wouldn't mind maybe doing a DTS one day when I finish school. I'm thinking, it's fantastic. But you know what? If he chooses to do a DTS, great. If he chooses to go to uni, great. Chooses to get a trade or a job, great. It's not the eye of a needle. There's just a general theme and direction of life that I'm hoping he follows. As long as he's loving the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind and strength, doing the right thing, not doing the wrong thing. By, you know, there's, there's this general flow, excuse me, and theme. 
that we have. So the will of God is not this eye needle, one thing only, or you've missed... If that was the case, I'd be pretty confident just about every one of us in this room were out of the will of God. What are the chances of every decision, every direction, every choice you've ever made at your age right now to get you to the exact right spot? So I wonder sometimes whether we <coughs> over-spiritualise the wrong things and under-spiritualise the more important things. The things that seem to have the biggest eternal impact, we kind of over-spiritualise them. The things that seem to have the least eternal impact, we under-spiritualise them, maybe. I don't know. Should I, should I, how, how many people prayed this morning about what you should wear to church? <laughs> Who sought the Lord and said, Lord, should I wear this dress or that dress? And then Bevan chose none of the dresses and he put on what he's wearing. <laughs> Good choice, Bevan. You're in the will of God. Old Testament says it's not fair for a man to wear women's clothing, so well done. How many prayed about that? How many of you prayed this morning and said, Lord, should I brush my teeth? I can tell a couple after the coffee table there, but it's not for me to say. How many people asked the Lord, should I brush my teeth? How many people besides Tim said, should I brush my hair? Notice how I included you in that rope? How many of you pray and ask God whether you, when you should take your holiday or maybe where you should go? Or should I go here or should I go there? Yeah. Sometimes. Sometimes it's appropriate. Let me ask you another question. When somebody sitting next to you starts to talk about a pain or a hurt in their life, or they're sick, and you know a God that has an answer for that, how many of us have the same attitude and approach towards that? Just make up a logical decision, make your mind up and just offer some assistance or how many of us go well I just didn't feel led I just, I'm just going to pray and ask the Lord whether I should share my faith with that person I've got opportunity, I've got reason I'm within reach we're, we're, we're mates but I'm just going to pray and ask the Lord I know this person's got a, an illness and they're struggling and so on and I know that I've got an answer and, but I'm just going to pray and ask the Lord whether I should bring you know, you understand what I'm saying sometimes I think we over spiritualise the wrong things and we under-spiritualise other things. We treat one part of life this way and another part of life this way. Is it really the will of God that I share my faith with this person that's going through this? Oh, I'm just going to wait on the Lord and ask. Yet over here, I'm just going to grab the Tim Tam because I didn't want to wait for God to answer that. I'll just <laughs> grab the Tim Mint Slice. I'm going to get into those things. Well, you know what? Why are we decompartmentalising all these parts of life? We walk with God. We walk with God. So I believe the will of God is a much broader concept than most of us think. And there are reasons, however, as to why we feel like we have to know before we do things it's the will of God. And some of those reasons are good, but you know what? I think there are some underlying reasons that probably need to be challenged in our concept of the will of God. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 4 to 6, it says this. It says, Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. Is that true? Any farmers here, Rob? Farmers who wait for perfect weather... Never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. Why do they never harvest? Because they never planted. Why did they not plant? Oh, it just wasn't the right time. The clouds were there. The weather wasn't right, you know? A farmer who waits for perfect weather never plants. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. Watch this. Just as you cannot understand the path of the wind... Or the mystery of a tiny baby growing in its mother's womb, so you cannot understand the activity of God who does all things. 
Just as you cannot understand the path of the wind or the mystery of a tiny baby. You know that word wind is a Hebrew word ruach. It's the same word used for the Spirit of God in Genesis where it says in the Spirit of God hovered above the water. Same word. You cannot understand the path of the wind or maybe you cannot understand the path of the Spirit. You cannot understand the movement of God, the activity of God. Always. Who can fathom everything that God is doing? The next verse says, Plant your seed in the morning and keep busy all afternoon. There's a novel idea. Just plant your seed anyway. Keep busy all afternoon. In other words, just go and do something. For you don't know if profit will come from one activity or another, or maybe both. I mean, what an uncertain thing to put in the Bible. That's making it sound like we should just... Look, we've got no guarantees about stuff, but we should maybe just do stuff anyway. Don't just sit back and do nothing because there's no guarantees of success. There's no guarantees of fruit. Don't just sit back and do nothing. It sounds to me like the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, you know what, if you sit back because the time's not right, the clouds are there, and you do nothing, your life will produce nothing. You can have all the dreams in the world of going somewhere, of achieving something, but if you sit back and keep waiting, 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 waiting because the time's not right, or I don't feel a bit right about it, or I don't think that God's given me a word, we can sit back and over-spiritualize everything in life and do absolutely nothing, and our life will produce absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. If a farmer waits for perfect weather, he'll never, ever plant. And I talk to so many people who sit back with dreams or visions or thoughts or ideas. You know, I love it when people have, an, even if I don't know, agree, think, whatever. You know, we had a, 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 a guy in a church I was a part of years ago, came to me, said, I really love your church and so on, but you know, I'm just not sure whether God's calling me to pastor a church. So I said to him, right now, well, let's have a chat about this. So we talk about it and you know, he's not sure whether it is God or it's not God. I didn't say to him, go and pray and you just make sure. I've had this advice before. You just make sure 100% it's God before you... you know. I don't know if I've ever done much in my life where I've been 100% sure. Some things, but very little. Most of them took an act of faith. And as I stepped out, I found out really quickly, a bit like Acts 16 we were looking at last week, the disciples went off this way and the Spirit of God says no. If they stood still, guess what? The Spirit wasn't talking to them until they started moving. Till they started doing something. Till they started going somewhere. The Spirit said, no, they changed the direction. Change their direction. It's easy to steer a moving ship. You can't steer a ship that's just sitting still. So they took initiative and they start doing things that God begins to direct the paths, which is what Proverbs says too. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and he will what? Direct your paths. He'll direct your paths. He won't direct you standing still, doing nothing. Start moving and God starts to get involved in your life. God loves movement. God loves activity. The early church was a movement. It was an active embryo, an active thing where people were doing stuff and God was able to speak into that and go, now go here, go here, go here, go here. But they took initiative and they moved. They took initiative and they did something. You know what? I feel like to a large degree initiative has been taken out of the church these days. I look around and go, what are we doing different? What are we trying to reach the world for Jesus? I can see a lot of other movements out there taking initiative. Let's ban the Bibles. Let's do this. Let's make this happen. And the church, we kind of sit back. We're just going to pray. We're just going to pray. We're going to go back to the upper room. We're going to pray. We're going to ask God and we're going to wait till the Lord speaks. As soon as the Spirit of God fell upon them, they got out of the upper room and they started doing stuff. They started doing stuff because they had the Spirit of God upon them and they went out into the world and they did stuff. And I think God wants us to do stuff. 
Not be fretting about whether it's the will of God. You know, take a few steps. Be open to him. If it's not his will, guess what? Your father in heaven is big enough to get your attention. He really is. He really is. He's the father. Keep that in perspective. We're the children. We're the children. Think about that with your own kids or, or, or nephews, nieces, whatever. Where was the responsibility? Who took the major responsibility for taking care of them? The child or the parent? It should be the parent. We live in a kind of dysfunctional world where so many kids are acting like parents, aren't they? You see so many kids that are taking on responsibility. They shouldn't have to. I remember when I was a young kid myself, that was my situation. I'm 12 years of age, my sister's six, my dad's off here, my mum's off here, and I felt like I had to be the parent. 11, 12 years of age, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about my little sister. I'm trying to protect her and keep her from all kinds of evil and things and make sure that she has a normal life to the best of my ability. You know, it's dysfunctional that a child should feel that way. Some of us, we grow up and, we, and the roles get reversed even at home. We still, as grown-ups, we feel like we're the parent and we're constantly having to parent our parents. And we get frustrated because we know that's not the natural order of things. They're the parent. Why am I, why, why, why do I got to play the parent? It should be flipped around. Parents are parents. But sometimes spiritually we can be like that too. We lose sight of the fact that God is our father. He's a perfect loving father. He knows how to direct us. He knows how to guide us. He knows how to, to, to keep us on course so long as we have ears to hear. So long as we have an open heart to him and ears to hear. And I think our father's sitting there gently tapping us on the bottom going, just have a go at something. Just start moving. Start moving and I'll start guiding and I'll start directing. Don't sit back and wait till you're 100% sure it is the will of God for your life. Because guess what? You'll probably never feel it. Every man, every woman of God I've ever spoken to who's done, it, who's done great things for God and seen things planted and businesses, they'll all tell you when they started it was a step of faith. Somewhere along the line, there was no 100% ironclad guarantee that this was going to work. So do we just sit back and wait? See, I don't think God wants you to be 100% confident that it's him before you step out. Because if you're 100% confident and that over, you know, guess what? You don't really need faith. That's the beautiful thing about being all-knowing. God doesn't need faith. He's all-knowing. But we need faith because we're not all-knowing. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So God's not going to set, up, set you up uniquely. Look, I know how you are. So I'm going to make sure that you are so confident before you do anything that you don't need faith because you're a special creature. You're a special one. You're an exception to the rule. I'm going to set you up so that you can operate by a principle that we know doesn't really please me because without faith, it's impossible. But I'm going to set you up. You know what? Forget it. There's always going to be questions. A farmer who waits for perfect weather is never going to plant. He's just not going to plant. He's just not going to do anything. You know what's amazing? Who likes to read the miracles in the Bible? Anyone else? I love reading the miracles in the Bible. You know what I've found? You can study this and check it out, and you go back to the Hebrew and the Greek and watch this. Every time a sick person was prayed for, guess what? They were sick when they were prayed for. <laughs> it's baffling. It's mind-boggling. Wouldn't you think that, you know, most of us today would want to see the healing, you know, I'm going to pray for that sick person, but I want to see the healing. That's just, this is how crazy and ludicrous it is. 
I want to see the healing first, then I'm going to go and pray for them. Well, guess what? If it's 100% healed, you don't need to pray anymore because it's happened. But we're like that. You know what else I found? Every time in the Bible, and again, you can go back to the Greek and the Hebrew with this, every time in the Bible that somebody, a man, a woman of God, a servant of God, went up to someone, a nation, a city, a bunch of people that did not know Jesus to share their faith with them. Guess what? They didn't know Jesus when they shared their faith with them. It's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. But they didn't know Jesus when they shared with them. They were sick when they prayed for them. It's crazy. Who works like that? You know, well, God, God, why? Because it's a step of faith. It's a step of faith. God wants us to step out in faith. He wants us to take what we know of him and who he is, what we know of us and who we are, and what we know of the world around us and the needs and the opportunities. And he wants us to step into those spaces and do something, do something, do something. I do not believe... That if you step... See, when, when I first got saved, I was one of these rabid guys that would tell everybody about Jesus. Didn't matter what... I mean, if you stood still long enough, I was going to talk to you. Okay, I'd be going to the Queen Street Mall in Brisbane. Didn't matter. Yeah, I'd preach to trees. I didn't really care. Anything that couldn't move that, that would stay there long enough for me to talk. I would. I, I did. I, I used to preach to bushes. I would stand in front of bushes and I would talk to them about Jesus. I just wanted to thought, well, you know, it'll, it's good practice. I'll just talk to bushes and trees. And so I would. I'd pray for anything that was sick. Anything, I mean, if you walked past me and you had a mozzie bite, I want to pray for your mozzie bite. And, and it's still there, let's pray again. Still, let's, you know, it didn't matter what it was. Why? Well, because this is the stuff I read about in the Word of God. This is what I see. And this is the Jesus that I hear go, you know, things I did, you'll do in greater works than these you'll do. Because I'm going to my Father. What was significant? I'm going to my Father. I'll send the Spirit of God upon you. So you'll have the Holy Spirit upon you. Just like in the, on the, the day of Pentecost, they went to the upper room and prayed. And then the Spirit of God came. And when the Spirit came, they stopped praying and they started doing. I'm not anti-prayer. I'm really, really into prayer massively. You've got to pray. But the end result of prayer is doing. Some people treat prayer like, oh, we're just praying for the mysteries of God. Okay, great. You've got mysteries of God. Wonderful. Excellent. What are you going to do about them? Oh, well, I saw pictures of the third heavens and the angels were coming up. and That's wonderful. It's great. But right now, how's that going to help a lost and dying world? Oh, well, I saw the, the, the gargoyle with the seven heads and the four wings and, and it came and it handed me a golden chalice. And you know, Look, it's wonderful. Great. You saw it. Excellent. But let's get a little more practical. What difference is that going to make to the world around us? Now, again, I'm not mocking people. If, I mean, if you're here and you saw a golden chalice and a gargoyle, that looked, praise God, it's excellent. Good on you. But what are you going to do about it? Where's the action that's going to come from that involvement with the Spirit of God? Where's the action? What are we doing? What are we doing? It's okay to take initiative based on what we know of who he is, what we know of who we are, what we know of the world around us and the needs and the opportunities that are there. We take initiative and we step into some of that stuff. Just really quickly, I won't finish it up this week. But there are reasons why we want to know that what we're doing is the will of God before we do it. The first, valid, first reason is really valid. It's because genuinely we love God. We do love God. And so we want to know that what we're doing is pleasing to him. Romans 12.1 says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. 
What it's basically saying is because of what Jesus did, the rational response to that is that we would present ourselves to him. There's an old saying, he died for me, so I'll live for him. Anyone heard that saying? He died for me, so I'll live for him. It's a rational response from anybody who has got a revelation of the cross. Anybody that has looked at the cross, realized what Jesus went through, realized they did it for him. A rational response is to go, you know what, if he did that for me, man, I need to... The rational response is that I would live for him, that I would give my life to him. I would be a living sacrifice to him. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says this. It says, He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they'll live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Okay? He died for everyone so that those who receive his life will no longer live for themselves. So we no longer live for ourselves. It's not just about what I want anymore. It's not just about what makes me feel good anymore. It's not just about what benefits me personally anymore. I don't just live for myself. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So I'm now living not just for my own will and what I want. I'm now living for the will and purpose of God. Again, it's a rational response to a revelation of the cross. If he went through that for me to give me life, and not just life here but life eternal, then while I'm here, see, this is the realm. This is the this is the realm of warfare we live in now. When we get to heaven, there won't be warfare. When we get to heaven, there won't be sick people to pray for. When we get to heaven, there won't be lost people to share our faith with. When we get to heaven, there won't be communities to reach. Not going to be lost communities in heaven. Jesus isn't going to say, "Look, it started out really good, but just over the back of the hill there, there's a bunch of people. Can you guys start preaching? We'll start this whole cycle again." So while we're here. We have a decision and a response to God. First Thessalonians 4.1. It says, Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God. As we have taught you, you live this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more. We urge you in the name of Jesus to live in a way that pleases God. So one of the reasons why we want to know that what we're doing is right, is the will of God, is because we want to please God. We're good people and we love God. And that's a good motivation. It's a great motivation. But you know, behind that motivation, there can be a couple of other motivations that are not quite as healthy. I haven't got time to get in all of those right now, but I just want to share one of them with you this morning. One of them, we want to know the will of God so that we have someone to blame. You see, sometimes wanting to know the will of God is not about what it takes us to but sometimes it can be about what it takes us away from. You see, we want to know the will of God, so we've got someone to blame. It takes us away from personal responsibility. Now I can say to everybody and anything, well, God told me. Well, God said. Blame God. It's not my responsibility. Blame God. The will of God never takes us away from personal responsibility. We still have to take responsibility for our actions. When I was in YWAM, not long before I, I got there, there was a guy that came over from the States. They brought him over on a visa, um, a, uh, a, a religious workers visa. We used to get him over in, in the country. And he started to do his training school, and a few weeks into his training school, this guy disappeared. He took off off the base, which, of course, is a bit of a problem for youth with a mission because from a, a legal immigration perspective, we're responsible for this man that's come here to Australia. He just cleaned this, the boogaloo when he's gone. Nobody knows where he is, just disappears. About six months later, some of the staff were sitting around watching a TV show. Anyone remember that show, Perfect Match? Remember that show? 
perfect match. Remember, you used to be on TV where Greg Evans was the host and there'd be a screen and they'd ask questions. And, and somebody happened to be sitting in the, in, the, in the staff room and they put on the TV, must have been just before the news or something, and um, here's this, on comes a screen and bang, here's this guy. He's a contestant on perfect match. Here he is. They call the, the base leader, come and check this out. They come down, here's this guy. Whack, there he is on perfect match. What ends up happening is, is the immigration department end up finding out about this. They end up finding where this guy is and they throw him in prison. The base leader travels down to either Sydney or Melbourne or whatever. They find the prison he's in, go to the prison to see this guy. He sits down and have a conversation with this guy. And here's what this guy says to him. The guy says, oh, listen, now I know why God put me in prison because I, he wants me to reach these criminals for Jesus and tell them about him and what he's done. No, God didn't put you in prison, you idiot. You broke the law. You, you broke the law. You did the boogaloo. You, you skipped on your visa. You disappeared. You put yourself on TV. You got busted by immigration, busted by the government of Australia. And here are you sitting there going, now I know why God put me in prison. God put you in prison because you did the wrong thing. But no. I did the boogaloo. I went on perfect. I did all that because this is the will of God. Now I know why I'm here. It's God's fault why I'm in prison because God sent me to prison. It was God wanted me to be here. What he's saying is this. God wanted me to falsify my documentation, come to Australia. God wanted me to lie to you people on the base. God wanted me to do the boogaloo and take off. God wanted me to go on a game show and try to pick up a blind date. God wanted me to get picked up by the police. God wanted immigration to find me, chuck me in prison. God did all that because he loves the criminal in the cell next to me. Wow, wow. The length some of us will go to to take responsibility away from us. And how easy is it as Christians to tack the name of God onto something and go, it's all his fault. You all know what I'm talking about because we've all been around people like that. Well, God said. <laughs> you know, when I'm in a conversation with someone, they say to me, God said. It's, it's basically like saying conversation over. Okay. What do you want me to say? God told you to... Yeah, punch that person in the face. Well, what can I say about that? God told you to do it. God told you to cheat on your taxes. Well, I mean, I can look at the Bible and probably go, I don't think either of those two things were right options based on what I know of who God is, what I know of who we are as a church, what I know of the needs of the world. And but hey, God said, what room have I got? Sometimes we want to know the will of God. We want to know everything is the will of God because it takes away and eliminates personal responsibility. Now we can blame God for outcomes. We can blame God for what happens. We can blame God for... Uh, you know what? God at no point takes away personal responsibility from us. Following God doesn't alleviate personal responsibility. Okay? It doesn't alleviate personal responsibility. To follow, to make that choice, to go that way, I still have a choice to make. I still take responsibility for that. I don't have to go down this path if I don't want to. I still made the choice. I believe it might be God and it could be, yeah, no worries. But I can't sit back and blame God in the sense that it takes responsibility off my shoulders. I'm happy to sit there at times and go, you know what, people around me don't like this decision, that's fine. I'm very convinced it's God. Um, I, I believe I'm doing the right thing and so if I'm going to be persecuted for that or look like an idiot, it's fine at times. I'm happy to do that. But I don't use it as a tool to alleviate personal responsibility. Sometimes I think we fret over the will of God because we just want someone to blame if things don't go right. We just want to be able to point the finger. Well, God, you told me to marry this person. Your fault. Reminds me of Adam and Eve in the garden. God, it's your fault. 
God, you gave me this woman. You allowed the devil to walk in the garden. You did. You did. And God says, yes, I did all that. Adam, you chose to bite the apple. You chose to bite the apple. So as we pursue the will of God, let's understand that firstly, we are meant to be a movement. The church is meant to be a movement of people, a movement of action. We're meant to be doing stuff. We're meant to be taking what we know of who God is, what we know of who we are, and what we know of the world around us, looking for the opportunity, stepping into them. Because as we step into them, we take the Spirit of God into those situations. We take God in there with us. That's what we do. That's how God operates. He waits for us to move, and he gets in, and he goes. I was reading a story this morning of uh, Joshua. When God came and Moses was gone, and God said to Joshua, you're going to lead these people now, and there's a whole bunch of fanfare and stuff. And you know what he said? He said this. He said, here's what's going to happen. Get the priests and so on, and they're going to carry up the, 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 the tabernacle, the ark, whatever. And you know what they're going to do? He said, there's going to be a raging river in front of you, a stream, and nothing's going to happen. It's going to look exactly like it did. As you start walking towards it, guess what? Nothing's going to change. You're going to be 10 feet from it. It's going to look the same. You're going to be 8 feet from it. It's not going to change. You're going to be 6 feet. Nothing's going to change. 5 feet, 4 feet, 1 foot from that water. Nothing's going to change. But you've got to move. As soon as you get your feet in the water, he says, then I'll part the water for you. But you've got to get your feet wet. And I think as a church, many of us have lost the ability to wet our feet. We're just sitting back waiting. I started to tell you the story about this gentleman who came to us in another church and said, look, I believe God's saying to me to go and start a church and so on. My advice to him was this. Have a crack. Have a go. Otherwise, you know what? For the rest of your life, you'll probably be wondering whether you should have or you shouldn't have. Is it the will of God? Is it not the will of God? I don't know. How are you going to find out? Just have a go. Move towards it. Do something. And trust. And stay open to the Spirit of God and believe and trust that your Father in heaven, as long as you keep your heart open to him, your Father in heaven will direct your steps. If it's wrong, he will close the door, just like Acts 16. He will redirect your path. He will get you. But you know what? Even, even people, I believe God loves people moving in the wrong. God gets more excited about people moving in the wrong direction more than he does people sitting still in the right place. He wants us to be moving. He wants us to be doing things. Amen? We've got to break out of this mentality of the will of God and we have to know everything. Let's just get back to being that movement of people who had faith and trusted God and put themselves out there for all the world to mock and didn't care because they trusted enough that God would come through and God would vindicate them. Amen? Father, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for your word, Lord. I pray, uh, God, that each of us in this place, God, there are, I have no doubt there are dreams, there are visions, there are thoughts, there are ideas in this place. And God, it's not just all about what happens here. God, there might be dreams of people in here to become artists, God, to take a painting course. There could be people here that want to go to uni. God, there could be people here that, that uh, you know, Father, want to go and get a trade. There could be, God, there could be people here with, with all kinds of dreams and thoughts and ideas about life and God, I pray that, uh, Lord, while there's that flicker of flame, that fire inside of people to want to do something, God, I pray that you'd fan it. I pray that you would, God, encourage people, God, as, as a church, encourage us to move forward, encourage us to actually take steps and to actually trust you, God.
Not sit back and wait till the clouds are gone from the sky. Not sit back and wait till the weather is perfect and the environment is perfect. But God, I pray you would motivate us and challenge us to just start doing some things now, God. Even if there are clouds in the sky, even if the weather's not perfect, but we'd start doing something. Because if we do nothing, God, we know we will not get a harvest at any point in our life. And God, we want to be fruitful, Father. That's what you've called us to. You've called us to be fruitful people. And so I just pray as we go into this next week, Lord, that we would think about that. God, I pray in the next week that we would take some chances that we wouldn't normally take. I pray in the next week we would do some things that we know to be right that we might not otherwise have done. God, let the tiny baby steps of movement begin for some of us in this place right now. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Uh, Connect groups are on this week if you're in one. Enjoy it. If you're not in one, enjoy not being in one. But if you want to be in one, let us know. We can get you involved in one. It's all good. What's that funny, Ruth? (laughs) Besides your husband.